Well, welcome to Funny Book Forensics, episode 251, Squash Like a Beetle. 251, Squash Like a Beetle? Wait, what? Yeah, I'm Dan, and I talk about stuff. And I'm Greg, and I also talk about stuff. And we're here to talk about my nerd research on Countdown to Infinite Crisis and the Blue Beetle. I will say, first off, a big thanks to Christopher Irving's book, The Blue Beetle Companion. I referenced it last time, available on tomorrow's publishing i'll give you a link in the show notes uh that gave me a lot of great research on the silver age and golden age blue beetle nice nice you have any uh research you want to reference there greg i researched your notes that's that's amazing (laughs) and the comic itself both of them were really good. That's all I got to say about that. I don't take any credit for it because if you didn't lay this stuff down, I don't know where I'd find it. I, I mean, debate cases, extent files, the uh, you know, research for comics. I, I mean, I really, what is just research? Right, 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 right. And if you all don't know what we're talking about, that's okay. If you're a forensics nerd, you 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 do know what you we're totally talking know. About. So Dan, Dan is Dan is one who would show up pilot's box in hand, fully ready to go. Greg, on the other hand, well, you know, I, I, I take the time to eat the breakfast. Hey, I mean, it, <laughs> it, it is what it is. And so uh, we are going to continue our discussion of throwaway characters. This might be the last discussion of throwaway characters for a while, but we're going to Keep going with Countdown to Infinite Crisis from uh, 2005, starring Dun Dun Dun, Blue, Blue Beetle, Ted Gordon. What do you think so far, Greg? Oh, man, this is like gripping stuff, honestly. This is like, it, it's, it, it, you, you said in the last episode, uh, what did I think about this being kind of like the utilizing the everyman narrative or the everyman uh, uh, theme? And uh, it definitely it's it, the more I think about it, gosh, it just it it to- it hits so hard because here's this guy that's just going through the motions of trying to figure some stuff out. And, and you can totally relate to it if you're if you've ever had problems and you're asking for help and people just keep kind of like, you know, brushing you off or, you know, they're a little busy or whatever. And. And he's just, he's just a dude that just wants to try to get to the bottom of something. And he just needs a, he's trying to uncover this thing and try to help his, his, his friends out. Right. And his friends are the ones that keep telling him, eh, go away. <laughs> and it's, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, the Beetle, Beetle probably felt that way a lot though. You know, he was kind of the ultimate throwaway character. Um, he had solo appearances in the golden age, silver age, bronze age. Well, I guess not technically bronze age. I guess maybe we call it the modern age. The modern age. Uh, but he never had any more than a 24-issue consecutive run mm-hmm. uh, ever. Um, and his longest run was actually, of, of consecutive appearances, was actually in a team book in the Justice League, ha 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 Justice League run. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, he probably was feeling it there. Maybe he, he not was- <laughs> feeling the love. Not feeling the love, but I mean, he's, he's it, the, the more I think about it though, it's like, I mean, yeah, you're probably right. He, he, he's probably just, he's always that lone wolfer out there. Just not, you know, he's, he's running, not with the pack, just, just along the side of him. But, uh, it, it kind of kills me that he had that opportunity at, to, to be part of these, these other greater storylines and, and, and he could have 
could have could have been part of all that stuff, but they just kept pushing him off. Even could have been the champ. Could have been the champ. Well, I mean, he 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 was, wasn't he? The no? champ is here. He's here. <laughs> it, it, and it, but you know, it's just it's just what it is. And I just but, can't see it. You can't see it. Yeah. Okay. I you lost me. Let's get back to the story, dude. Let's get yeah, back to the story. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we uh, flash basically back to the present. Uh, Blue Beetle sees Wonder Woman on a screen, and then the flashback goes to eight hours before. So we oh. are creeping toward the end of the story here. Uh, Blue Beetle returns from his meeting with Shazam, the Kapow. wizard, yes. not the character, because the character's name is Captain Marvel. Yes. And Shazam is the name of the wizard. Just want to stress wizard. that again. Yes. His name is Captain Marvel. Yes. And Captain Marvel is the name of the wizard. And anyway, and his last big toy is destroyed. The last of Ted Kord, supposedly anyway, seems to be uh, destroyed. A no. uh, giant beam from the sky, apparently. Where are these damn explosion. beams coming from? Where are these beams coming from? Where are these? I guess this one looks like it might have been an explosion on the thing. We can't really tell. Like, uh, there's a little spark on the top of 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 the bug. Yeah. By the I way, does the that bug effect. remind you of anything? Does it remind me of uh, of something from? I've been I've been really I've been looking over this 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 book, and yeah. I would say you know. It's very, it does, it does have something that it, it reminds me of something. It's very, uh, it's very strong. Um, and it, it feels like I've seen does it. Does it remind you of Leonard Cohen and hallelujah? Yes. Okay. Yes. We're just going to leave that there. Yes. That was super gross. Um, that was. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to go there, but you did. There you go. Well, like should have happened in that movie, an explosion destroys the bug ship. And uh, (laughs) and Blue Beetle gets spirited away to the watchtower. And all along the watchtower, Wonder Woman is standing over him. Is that where the beam came from? Um, Well, it's been coming from the sky. Oh, geez. And... We heard somebody mention OMAC. Oh, oh, okay. But but let's just keep going. Okay, so that's where you get your when you when you buy a car from uh, like Chrysler or something, right? That, that they're like the people that uh, that OMAC is the ones that. No, that's that's on Star. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. Hey. Yeah, that's that's that thing that actually like no joke. I actually had a friend use the OnStar button like two years ago. Yeah. And I was like, you have to And they finally got help. And they yeah. finally got help. <laughs> I got help. <laughs> I was like, you know, you have a phone with directions on it. Like he had the OnStar person come on and, and give him directions, which oh, I, wow. I thought was amazing. So in, in this case here, he's looking at Wonder Woman. And I do want to do a, a quick flashback because... He well, first off, he, he's giving Wonder Woman the fanboy look, which yeah, I, I found these two panels in the story to be super awkward. Uh, and, and the reason is he's like, you know, he he's giving her fanboy, and he says it's only a good thing about losing the bug. I get sympathy from Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a secret about Diana: we all love her, even Batman. 
And I was like, this is weird, but um, this is a continuation of this weirdness they've been doing with Wonder Woman and the crossovers. Yeah. Um, in Identity Crisis, what I can say is you, you only see William Moulton Marston's three favorite parts. The top of her costume, the bottom of her costume, and her rope. Because everything else is in the invisible jet? I guess. Yeah, okay. it, 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 it was... When I taught this uh, at university, when I taught identity crisis to classes, I just, it was weird. This, I just get into transcendence and the sexualized character and Rags Morales drew her in that story. And it goes back to this rebuilding up this weird bondage. I shouldn't call uh, it weird. Bondage isn't weird. I'm sorry. No weird. judgment. No yeah. judgment. Nope. If you're into that, cool. Like uh, I might even be into that. Whatever. It's fine. Not no shaming, man. Judging no shaming. anybody. No shade. Um, but they're building on these bondage things, uh, presumably in an homage to William Moulton Mar Marston, the creator of Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. And spoiler alert, uh, the reason she's not appearing a lot in these stories is because they are setting her up for a major character change. Oh, I thought you um, that she was tied up at the time. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, you, I thought that's what you're... That, she, she was a little tied up in the story. Yeah, I, I like. I, yeah, I like it. Um, I, I, I have to walk away now and close the door and walk out of the room and leave and, and, and not come, come back. back. Well, and that's how I kind of felt the writer should have been when they wrote it this way. Yeah. Um. And, and in the story, you know, she's just uh, she's the second to last major hero to abandon the Blue Beetle uh, while mm -hmm. he solves this mystery. Um. But they are writing her out of the story for a reason. And and if you kept reading DC Comics at the time. There's a big reveal to what she does later without spoiling it too much. If you watch the first season of Jessica Jones, they stole the ending directly from what Wonder Woman does to another character in DC Comics. All right. So I'll give you that little hint there uh -huh. and then uh, leave it at that. Okay. So don't know if you watched Jessica Jones. So. I did. Okay. <laughs> so if you didn't see it in DC comics, let me tell you, they stole the ending right from a, a, a DC comic scene. Gotcha. Uh, and it was a smart way to steal it. So it's a good way. Um, it's a good scene. So we get an abandonment and now we go and we see the brooding Martian Manhunter. Yeah. Always uh, brooding. Him always and Batman. Brooding. Him and Batman. Brooding. Him and Batman. They got it down. And this, uh, this, oh, this scene, this is... This scene right here is like, this is tough. Yeah, it was really tough. Like we get the little interlude that sort of interrupts it so they can set up a mini series yeah. with uh, Adam Strange and the Rand Thanagar War, uh, which was a, a fun little mini series. Not really worried about that part of the story. Um, when they were in the Justice League together, uh, you had the foils in the comic, right? We talked about that when we covered uh, Justice mm -hmm. League a few issues ago. And, yeah. and Giffen and DiMatteis used... In a comedic act, we would have called, you know, John Johns, uh, the Martian Manhunter, the or John Jones, sorry, the Martian Manhunter, the yeah. straight man. Yeah. And so he watches all these goofballs around him. And in this case, he just comes down on Blue Beetle hard. Yeah. Uh, he just, he, he does. He just like, hey, <laughs> why? <laughs> like, we got bigger things to worry about. Yeah. I mean, he's, I... Uh, what what was it like? He calls Blue Beetle troubled. Yeah. You know, how, did you, how did you feel about that? Uh, well, like it, it's kind of it feels kind of unwarranted. Like obviously, well, he, he says he's troubled, and obviously he is. But why why would you not acknowledge and or go deeper into that 
And why would you not see that this is, there's things that are um, troubling him, <laughs> you know, you're just going to say you're troubled and dismiss it. Yeah. I thought it was really reactive to this characterization too, and almost illustrating like that the super powered superheroes are above more important. Yeah. It's like they have a strat like a like a stratosphere and and Blue Beetle isn't even on the on on the mark. And it's like, dude, what what's what's where does he fit? <laughs> and in the Manhunter's defense, I think it's interesting because he'd been playing sort of this I rule the satellite role, and that's how he's introduced in the Justice League cartoon yeah. as well. And then you you have that. But it, it was also interesting because uh it's interesting how John Jeff Johns says like nobody had read the blue beetle cause they didn't know the character from the old justice league books. Right. We had to reconceptualize the blue beetle here, but it's interesting is, is the Martian Manhunters characterization clearly plays off their previous relationship. Yeah. And the idea that, you know, he's a part of it is, I guess if you're an older reader, you're saying, well, the Manhunter is ignoring him because, he thinks he's up to a scheme or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, which would make sense if you knew and, or if like there was, there was something warranted, but there's nothing. Or it was warranted. referenced. Yeah. And there's nothing there. And that right. is frustrating. Especially when, as we mentioned in the last episode, when uh, Giffen and DeMatteis were doing those little mini series, mini story, mini series story mm -hmm. shots. Um, so you got to see it. And then, of course, my my favorite thing from the Martian Manhunter from that run in the eighties, late eighties, early nineties, was he was always eating choco cookies, which were uh, basically Oreos. Yeah, and it gave him sort of this human side, like he that was his human. He was a straight char man character, but he mm -hmm. he had his vice, which was the Oreos. Those yeah. Oreos even showed up in Smallville uh, when oh, he made his they? appearance. Yeah, they did. They were huh. there was Oreos on the ground uh, uh, when they discovered, and I was like. Well, sorry, Chacos. Chacos. Yeah. yeah. And sorry, excuse me. Uh, was it? I'm sure it's Kraft or Nestle or somebody. Just don't sue us. Uh, you know, you own everything already. You don't need money from us. But uh, or, the, or or you can come on as a sponsor, and we will take that, the sponsorship money. That is fair. Uh, Oreos, the best chocolate cookie, not named Hydrox. The only ones that I would eat if I ate gluten. And the best cookie ever but don't make the blonde ones anymore because those suck and sponsored by oreos that's too much dude too much i, I, I think it. you're I, troubled I, I, I'm, clearly, <laughs> I'm clearly troubled you're clearly troubled <laughs> but that's what happens when you read hours and hours of research on the blue beetle so yes that's it can it can happen to you so we're now we're back in uh, and the story gets really dark. Um, uh, Blue Beetle is transported back from the satellite and uh, his old companion teammate in the Justice League, which Blue Beetle was actually in. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he wasn't in the Justice League. You know, it's, that's the other weird part of this part of the story. Uh, you just send him back and uh, he just goes back in a tube to his ruined house. Yeah. <laughs> And his ruined life and yeah. his ruined goggles and <laughs> go back to your ruined life. Yeah. Loser. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? <laughs> Good God. Uh, Damn. Beetle, Beetle no says wonder he's troubled. 
<laughs> Beetle says, teleport myself back home. What's left of it at any rate? My home, my business, my best friend. I'm standing in the ruins of my life. When I was a kid, being a hero seemed like the easiest thing in the world to be. I'm not a kid anymore. And right now, I can't think of anything harder to be. Maybe Max, that's Maxwell Lord, for those of you not keeping track, was right. Uh, maybe my best days are just a memory in the rearview mirror. Huh. Huh. So what was your reaction to this very Peter Parker-esque monologue? I mean, oh, when you it, read it. it. It was definitely like, it, it felt like, obviously, you know, it's it's pulled right off uh, in, that, in, the, in that vein. But it it really hit the notes of, uh, of a fan of, uh, of the Spider-Mans, <laughs> the yeah. Spider-Mans, you know? Uh, and it, and it pulled on the strings, it, even, even some of the expressions that, uh, they drew on, on to, uh, the Mr. Mr. Beetle himself, as he's looking at his, at his, uh, at his, around at his surroundings and everything else. He's got that, that look of anguish and other stuff like that. And it's, you see that sometimes on, on Mr. Parker. So, and we've got Ivan, uh, is it Heiss or Rice on, 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 uh, pencils and mark campus on inks and guy major on colors uh, ivan would never do anything for dc after this either no. um never again uh and if you guys can't note the sarcasm there uh lots of sarcasm. Lot of sarcasm uh but yeah i i think Heavy. really really good uh really good transition from artists here too i mean it's you can tell the different artists are drawing each chapter Mm-hmm. But it's almost it's almost like they picked the perfect artist for each one. Yeah, and and you can see it in their in the way that they've the the lines look differently, uh, the way that they're you know even the you know obviously like backgrounds shading all those things, uh, these expressions like I was saying like they just fit so well, uh, and they and they they fit well for the dialogue they fit well for the the mood and the movement of of the things that we're seeing and they're very they're very nice <laughs> yeah well and, and i think too uh the heavy pencil work really mm-hmm. illustrates the tax uh the story is taking on him yeah. uh on ted cord you see you start to see some wrinkles you see mm-hmm. some stress obviously his body's been beaten up yeah and then he goes to the hospital to uh to see booster and things don't go so well yeah and i mean he he goes in there and sees a, a a broken a broken booster you know and uh a booster that wants to he wants to be there for him and and everything like that but uh he just can't because and it's it's interesting he heads back um you uh spoiler alert greg he uh asks about a little robot companion named skeets who 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 hasn't been around in this whole entire book yeah and you uh and and that's what gets booster riled up he's like oh i can't lose another friend ah (laughs) and uh so if you don't know he's referring to his sister yeah was it gold star yeah, Goldstar. His sister took the name Goldstar and uh, and um, came back in time with him uh, and and died in the help. 
Yeah. And then uh, Ice, of course, who was uh, originally Ice Maiden from mm-hmm. the Super Friends. Super Friends. Global Guardians. But then, of course, more known for the JLU. Or JLU. I keep saying JLU. Uh, JLA, JLI uh, mm-hmm. appearances. And then, of course, Sue Dibney, who was, who, uh, was murdered in Identity Crisis. So, yeah, he's illustrating back the stress of losing friends. Maybe a little foreshadowing here uh and then uh booster tries to get up to help his friend and of course he's burnt all over his body so you know the doctors and nurses come in and yell at blue beetle because it's all his fault you know i mean clearly his fault he was he was forcing that booster gold that busted booster to get out of bed and uh yeah it was interesting to um you know, Beetle comments, he's never had a friend better than him. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Not every creator was a fan of, of the blue and gold team team up. So Len Wein, you may have heard of this guy. Mm. He created a superhero for Marvel Comics. He's mm-hmm. been in a few movies. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What's this guy's name? Uh, he has some claws. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Some, some claws like uh like hands that are hands he hands that are, uh is it freddy krueger it no. is freddy krueger oh, i knew it so uh len ween uh who relaunched blue beetle in 86 after crisis said yeah he hated uh the giffen blue and gold team up he says i hated it i hated the comedy relief superheroes that were part of the main line giffen saw it another way that was he wrote uh justice league international mm-hmm. yeah. i always wrote ted to be our voice uh, for all of the complaints about him, he always got the job done. He was always there. And that, to me, is not a buffoon. And that's what, what Giffen said about his characterization. Uh, so you got two two very uh, prominent creators uh, kind of going after each other a little bit yeah. about Giffen's view. So which one, you know, if, I don't know well, if you've read the Beatles series, but let's just assume based on this, it's, it's a, an homage to Ditko, which is what it was. You've yeah. got that Beatle, and then you've got Giffen's kind of the wise cracking uh kind of uh smart but you know and i guess giffen called him sort of the heart of the team yeah i you know that's that's the i mean i i know both i know both of them but i think i like the the wise cracking heart of the team uh it to me it's uh, and i've said it before earlier in the the previous episode you can empathize with that kind of character um I think as a, as a human, it's more, it's more personalized in a sense, uh, and more personable. So I feel like, uh, myself, I can, I can read that character and I can, I can feel like I could walk in their shoes a little yeah, bit easier. And I, I felt like in this story too, it allows as he, his life sort of spins out of control, uh, knowing that he was that fun loving character, Mm-hmm. You, know, you see the seriousness on his face over the next couple of pages, the end of chapter four and the beginning of chapter five. I believe it. Like, I yeah. believe if, if after, and you know, it, like he's had enough, right? Like uh, the stress is, is on his face. And of course, you know, now we're getting into chapter five and, uh, uh, night owl is in his owl ship flying toward Antarctica. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? Oh, wait, wait, sorry. Oh, uh, oh that's... Is in, is in the bug flying toward a giant castle in the mountains. Yes, yes. And oh. uh, 
Thank that God. Was, no Silk Spectre. No, no Silk Spectre. Okay. So close, uh, though. So close. Yeah. Um, and no cigar. Darn it. Because no, uh, so, it's not Wolverine. I mean. What? what? Where's Wolverine? I don't know. What? Lost. Yeah. Sorry. It's okay. Okay. So, uh, he goes on. Uh, he traces Skeet's signal and bounces it to a castle. And oh. we get a, a about a four-page sequence, uh, first four pages of the chapter five, the last chapter. And by mm-hmm. the way, I do want to highlight this. The last chapter is uh, uh, is penciled by Phil Jimenez and inked by Andy Lanning and Steve Furchow on colors and Nick Napolitano on letters. First off, um, yeah, you're going to see through this chapter props to all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but Phil Jimenez especially... He, he didn't like do, drawing this chapter, <laughs> but he loved. But the work here is amazing. Yeah. Um, what, why did he did he say why he didn't like drawing it? Or well, is we'll most, get to that. Okay. Because I mean, I could I I can see some stuff. Why I mean, like after reading it, you know, I mean, there's yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> it, the way Phil Jimenez draws, so Phil Jimenez, like obviously, he's his own artist. So I don't want to take anything away from him. But was it the barbed wire? Yeah, well, he had he had some, you know, Phil Jimenez was influenced by a really major artist. You might have heard of him called George Perez. Uh, Yeah, I think I heard of him. But Phil Jimenez has drawn some of those most beautiful comic books. Um, Oh, the Tempest series that he did was was ridiculous. And um, Phil Jimenez is his art's beautiful. And that's really all I can say. No, um, reading he's beautiful on Instagram. Shout out to you, uh, Phil. So this, but, I, I will say this whole, like having, having him, uh, run art on this, this end chapter, uh, uh, really brought it home, if you will. Yeah. So, and, and it couldn't have, couldn't have been in better hands. Okay. Yeah. Could, <laughs> well, no, it really couldn't. And I think also having that tie back to an artist who was a veteran yeah. of the DC universe, right? Um, and knew how to draw uh, mm-hmm. what that universe looked like in the '80s, in the '90s, right? Uh, was a smart choice. Yeah. Um, and then Andy Lanning, of course, uh, from Abnett and Lanning fame. Andy Lanning's inked and, and drawn tons of things, and so, uh, but. One thing I will say for for Andy Lanning is with with Dan Abnett writing and with Andy was uh, drawing and inking. Uh, there was a Legion Lost series that the two of them did together, where I had some of the heavy darkness uh, into it, and so mm. I had seen Andy Lanning's uh, work before, and, and it, I felt like a good inker too to go with Jimenez's really uh, fine line work. So great choices here. Um, so yeah, I'm going to yeah. give you a spoiler alert uh, okay. for a 15 year old comic. Uh, so Maxwell Lord, uh, he's not what he seemed to be at the beginning of the story, Greg. What? Maxwell but, Lord is not who we thought he was. No, Blue Beetle gets in and he's reading about all these heroes and finding out their identities. And it's all on a giant computer screen. Of this whole time, this whole time that we've been seeing him reading a giant computer wasn't at Cord Industries, but it was at Maxwell Lord's house. Yeah, it was at Maxwell ah. Lord's castle. Um, what? And he's the Black King of Checkmate. Now, you can get a lots of original Checkmate from the 1988 series. 
Yeah. Um, and a new Checkmate series followed this one in 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 uh, ninety six. Um, in this iteration of Checkmate, uh, you had a lot less people walking around in Checkmate uniforms. So there are some in the background there. Yeah. Uh, but you uh, also, I would say, a semi-corrupted international spy agency, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Maxwell Lord's trying to use them to control uh, superpowered heroes. Uh-huh. Um, what do you know about Maxwell Lord's own powers? His own powers? Well, he, I mean, he's handsome. He is. And he's handsome. And I, I mean, I have a beautiful Aaron Lepresti Maxwell Lord standing up as checkmate hanging in my front room. I've seen it. I've seen it. it he's handsome. And uh, he's got a, uh, um, I'd say, a devilish demeanor about him. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, he can control minds. Oh, yeah, he can control minds. And, uh, of course, in the past, he often carried around a red handkerchief. Oh, yes. Uh, because when he controls minds, he gets a nosebleed. So we are now back to your Hey, classic. he stole that from Eleven from Stranger Things. He, uh, no. Oh, no? No. Oh, damn it. I think he stole that from pulp novels from like the 20s probably or something but you know hey uh i i cannot trace back the nosebleed thing far enough maybe that's something i'll dig into later okay uh but the nosebleed has been used to reflect like mind control powers for a long time many Uh, many, ever since people could control minds yeah and so (laughs) yeah And then Maxwell Lord opens a door and pig's blood falls all over him and he lights the entire castle on fire. Holy crap. Oh my gosh, this book took a turn. You didn't see that one coming, did you? Not for a, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> that, that whew, they're all going to laugh at me now on the podcast reviews. Whew. All right, so... Uh, Ted Cord uh, looks at a giant screen before Max shows up and he sees his picture and it says deceased on it. <gasps> uh, that's Dead. ironic considering right? <laughs> uh, the uh, the birth of Ted Cord was the death of Dan Garrett. Ah. Uh, at the end of page four, Ted knows who the real villain is. Of course, he sees Maxwell Lord and uh, you're, you're getting into this. It's interesting because uh one of the things uh, Irving mentions in the Blue Beetle Companion is uh, the Garrett uh, to Ted Cord switchover was one of the first times that a hero died. So another hero could birth out of that almost like a phoenix. Uh, mm. But the uh, not like a phoenix. I, I, I don't know why I brought <laughs> phoenix to this. Just I don't know sure. either. Yeah, that, that's, that, that can only lead to to bad mind control powers yes. so the uh and <clears throat> throwing things with your mind but yes and blood and stuff but anyway yes uh, maxwell lord uh he doubles down on all of those that rejected the beetle and notes that you know beetle is the pawn that crossed the board uh however he did note that he thought either batman or blue beetle would solve the puzzle first Mm-hmm. And that's ironic, uh, because way back in 1940, when he was the original Blue Beetle was created, he yep. was simply a pawn in a legal battle. Oh, 
he was created, I, I guess, created, not really created. They think he was probably created out of uh, the Eisner Studios, actually. Yeah. Uh, but nobody is sure. Uh, but the comics were owned by reputed con man Victor Fox, who <sighs> fancied himself the king of comics. I'm sure Jack Kirby would not dispute that at all. Uh, <laughs> no, not at all. However, he lost a lawsuit to Detective Comics, or known as DC, uh-huh. uh, because of their first big creation, who was called Wonder Man, who uh-huh. was basically a clone of Superman, right? Uh-huh. And so, uh, I guess uh, the Eisner Studio owned Blue Beetle, maybe? We're not really sure. Uh, the original concept stuck around in various forms for 80 years, but uh, was originally just a pawn or, or a failed tape of a guy who wanted to take over the comic book industry. So that self-proclaimed king, he went bankrupt a whole bunch of times, and uh, you know, we were kind of talking about rebooting characters last yeah, time. How, yeah. How's a character like this with a failed TV show, or a failed TV show, geez, the a failed TV radio show, radio comic show, strip, and comic book. comic book, failed comic strip, uh, how does a character like that stick around so long? Like, why would somebody keep recycling a character like I, that? I think, I think because it has that, uh, that there's the, that hint of nostalgia, but also that, that feel of like, as a writer, right? You, you see something like this, you see a character like this and you, you see a story that has so much, uh, around it and so much other story around it. And you want to redeem it some way, right? You want to, put a little bit of yourself on it, but you want to take some of that other stuff that's there and you see so much that's redeemable there and you want to yeah. bring it out and put it out there for someone else to enjoy. And, and I think that's probably why it just keeps coming back and the blue beetle keeps surviving and keeps coming back in it in new iterations with new blue beetles uh, and, and new, new characters for new generations to read and enjoy. And that's not necessarily, you know, it's not a bad thing, and it, but, but as you said, you know, the, the original blue beetle threw beetles around to, to announce their, them being there. And I think with that, with every beetle being thrown, a new beetle was born. Well, and I, I found no, I found no evidence that the writers actually put this connection together. But in the story, Beetle rejects Maxwell Lord's invita- invitation to join Checkmate, and ah. Lord was proclaiming himself the Black King of Checkmate. Ah. Uh, so you've got oh. Fox, who was the King of Comics, self-proclaimed Lord, who's the Black King of Checkmate. Uh, he even points out that Lord is a metahuman hunting metahumans, and yeah. Lord acknowledges that he manipulated the Justice League for his own ends. Yeah. So they're both manipulative fraudsters. He tells Beetle he can't escape, and it seems Beetle won't escape the fraud in the same way the character never rose above the fraudulent Vincent Fox that first published it in the Golden Age. What? Cursed be the story that lays upon us. Spoiler alert. So... Well, Beetle finds his way through the bad guys until he meets up with a giant big baddie that we haven't seen yet in the story that's floating there. And he has an eye on his chest. What do you know about Omax? You know, I, I like I thought it was the thing in your car that you put the button and then it tells you where to go. Uh, I in the sky, way up high. No, that's not the right song. Um, I, I uh, the uh, there's an I in the I sky. They, um, well, 
yeah, I think a lot of readers, which is why they could get a way of reconceptualizing OMAC, didn't necessarily know. Um, Jack Kirby created OMAC, uh, One Man Army Corps in 1974. Oh, that one, yeah. A satellite called Brother Eye gave average soldier, and I wrote average soldier, but I've done a little bit more research since I actually scripted this. Yeah. Just an average guy. He was just, just an average employee. Yeah, and, he was just an average dude. He just was like doing his job. He wasn't... He yeah, was Mr. Mr. Blank, by Mr. the yeah. way. Yeah, Mr. Blank. Uh, Didn't even... Not, have, wasn't even rememberable. Rememberable. I feel like Mr. Blank was just... I put soldier there. I may have been thinking about another character, so like an average guy that got a serum, and then he... Yeah. Well, Jack Kirby would never recycle an idea. Yeah. And he said <laughs> uh, in the first, uh, the letter page of the first issue of, of OMAC, uh, the point is that men in general are unpredictable in <laughs> groups, irresponsible, and as individuals defenseless against the dotting super age, enter OMAC to hold the fort until we can catch up with our own weaknesses and handle as a whole all of the wondrous things we're capable of producing. OMAC is rationality, strength, and compassion. And in the simplest of terms, his purpose is to see that we can finish our hamburger without the intrusive element of a shockwave, universal dissolvement of a body, or body cells gone bananas. Ah, Great. I find it, I find it kind of interesting because Mr. Blank worked in a in a, a like he worked in a factory type setting, right? In like yeah, a distribution. He worked in a. He worked in a factory that was producing robots that people could put together they were basically sex robots yeah but but also this place had a lot of other things in there like you know a, a crying room and uh it had all these like areas where you could like you know work off your steam if you had it yep. which was interesting to me and he had a rage room that he would go to and scream and and and, and break stuff and the, so, the interesting thing, too, is like Kirby was predicting this workplace of the future. I guess I didn't think about going into this, but this workplace of the future where you provide your workers with everything so they stay at work longer. Yeah, you got everything there. It's nuts. I mean, that's why so, we work at home now. So you've read a little bit more OMAC than I knew. So oh, yeah, I read it. I, I was just playing with you, Dan. I read that OMAC. I know what you're talking about. Okay, so I've I've read the recently reread read the uh, first eight issues of OMAC. Uh, Kirby dug into a lot of social issues in that book. Yeah, um, and I don't necessarily think people were ready for it. And honestly, that letters page on the 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 introduction to OMAC is a little crazy. Oh um, my, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's a little out there. Um, Maybe I'll post it up somewhere uh, when we do the OMAC episode in the near future. But right. uh, I will say to you, uh, we're planning on an OMAC episode. Uh, yes. I was so happy to find out, hey, I, I think tomorrow should start paying me. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow's? Yeah. What is that? Funny Book Forensics, sponsored by Tomorrow's Publishing. That'd be uh, awesome. But they are actually doing an issue on OMAC uh, in Jack Kirby Collector. And Ooh. we're going to hold off a little bit on OMAC until okay. I grab that research so I can dig a little bit of that into the writing of this epi of that episode. But um, keep reading our OMACs, Greg, because we're going to get into this. But All right. OMAC is not a soldier, but he holds on to a, a couple of things. Uh, one, they hold on to the uh, being transformed. So we don't know who's transforming him, but... Yeah, there's this big uh, Dolph Lundgren looking guy behind. Uh, 
behind Max Lord and he says in yeah, OMAC protocol, Blue Beetle recipient, uh, black side blank B. Yes. So referring to the original creation and then he downloads and boom, uh, you have an OMAC. And now that you've got a super powered guy, he quickly overcomes uh, the Blue Beetle and well, yeah. Yeah, Blue Beetle gets so well. gets his it, it, yeah just handed to himself. He is he is wrapped up um, like a Christmas present for for Mister Lord. Maxwell and Lord in this has- case, we find out there are a whole bunch of sleeper cells. Eventually, like there are a whole bunch of these Omax all over the place. So it's very different than the original Jack Ker- uh, Kirby creation. But they yeah. do make sure they reference it and, and pay homage to it. So. Um, well, Beetle ends up, uh, Beetle ends up in a Star Trek, the next generation, uh, holodeck. Yeah. That's what it looks like. And, uh, he's just laying on the ground there, um, cause he just got beat up and, uh, Max comes back and asks him one more time, uh, to help him exterminate and control metahumans and Beetle tells Max to rotten hell and well, Max shoots him in the head. Oh my, that's how he gets it. No, I knew. I knew. I knew. I knew as well, but it's still... I mean, you can hear the it, disappointment in my it's voice. It's a messed up panel, too. It's like... It sucks because it's like... I mean, obviously, they they know each other. They had a, they, they had a friendly relation, relationship for a majority of their time together. <laughs> and then this is how it goes down. Well, and it's out of the blue, too, because like those other stories with Giffen and DeMatteis were happening at the same time. So you're seeing them cut up. They actually like the last uh, issue of one of those two stories. They're blah, ha together on the page. And then here he's shooting him in the head. Right. It was just like, OK, this seemed like it came out of nowhere. Like yeah. it, it came from somewhere because there was always a background to Max Lord and something going on there. But uh, so a good and definitely like a, a power that's more suited for a villain. Uh, probably that whole, you know, I control people's minds and make them do things. Uh, yeah. You had Max Lord. You have, of course, the we referenced Jessica Jones. You have the Purple yeah. Man um, yeah. who did not originate in the Jessica Jones series as a side note. Um, huh. That character been around Marvel for a while. Um, you're more of the Marvel guy than me, but I, I know it didn't just show up there. Yeah. Uh, so we've got that going on. And then, yeah, I, I mean, they did a lot of work to build Blue Beetle up here. I mean, do you think it was worth it? Like, they, and then they just kill him at the end of the story. It, okay. As a, as a reader, as a reader, it killed me that they built up this character that you are like you're 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 reading this character you're reading along with the story you're following along you're you're like oh, okay cool i'm i'm really feeling this i'm vibing it uh you know everything's passing the check and i'm like all right i really want to i really want this story what's going to happen next where are we going with this is he going to get the help is he going to oh he's finding out this stuff and then all of a sudden bam dead like even at the point where he's he knows that he's found omax coming for him and you know, Maxwell Lord is like, I want him alive. You're like, okay, cool. He's, you know, this can't be it. Right. That cover, that, that cover was a, was just a, a you know, they, 
they, they they're trying to throw throw the scent off and then you get this and and that as a as a reader that killed me because i'm like oh i really wanted more of it from the other side of the house in my brain i'm like oh that totally makes sense because it just sets you up to want so much more for how are they going to get some sort of redemption or not redemption, but uh, like, you know, re, uh, the recourse, the, how are they going to get, how revenge. is everything? Yeah. yeah. Reven- I don't want to call it revenge because revenge is bad. And none of them cared about him. I mean, that's, that's the weird thing. They're right? not like, gonna, yeah. I feel like I cared way more about blue beetle in the story. Yeah. Than the people, except for booster, right? Booster's going to booster wants, he's going to want revenge, but no one else is going to care. Right. And, and now you're looking at this kind of weird situation too, where you have, uh, so you have the blood thing, right? Which is the limitation. Like he gets a nosebleed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you sort of have, and I, I felt this way too. Um, if you, uh, if, if, if you, ha- uh, the first season of Jessica Jones, I thought was really good. Um, if you want to go back, it's on Netflix. Everybody can go back and review it. Um, I don't want to give away the ending or anything like that, which I kind of already did. So sorry, but the, uh, I guess I didn't totally give away the ending, right? I just he's actually Maxwell Lord. Yeah, he's actually Maxwell Lord, but uh, it's, a power, okay. it's a power that's hard to deal with. Like even in watching that show, you've got David Tennant playing, uh, the purple man. I forget what they called the it. Purple the show, man. But, purple man. Um, you, you've got that character and it's an unstoppable character. I mean, he, he controls minds and so, and influences their will, right. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's people to be and do things. And so just by proximity. So I don't know how you beat that character, right? Like it was hard to believe in the story that that character could be defeated. Yeah. Um, and in this case, so now I've got a whole universe of superheroes that are going to eventually come after this guy. I would hope they could defeat him. It, it just, but it seems at the end, it seems hopeless, right? Uh, right. And I guess that's the way they wanted you to feel. Uh, Len Wein uh, wasn't really happy with the choice, but he did think he went out like a hero. Um, he said it was the antithesis of what Keith Giffen and company were doing. Um, yeah. And I felt like it was interesting because it did take a character they weren't really using and invoke a really strong emotional response, right? Like Maxwell Lord is now definitely a villain, right? There is yeah. no great area anymore. Oh no. Um, you, you know, this dude is, he's, he's, he's an ass. He's, 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 he's a guy that's shot, trying. So he's, to... a, he's a, like a cold blooded murderer, right? Yeah. He shot somebody at the head. And that's the other thing, the Phil Jimenez art here um, with Andy Lanning's heavy inks. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell, I mean, that scene, you, I don't know that I like seeing him get shot in the head right there. No, um, I don't. I don't like I this. I don't I have like. To, I'm, I'm actually just turned the page back. Yeah, uh, I don't like that it. page. I don't like the page. I don't like the panel. I don't like the pa- I don't like the panels. I mean, uh, they're very good. But I don't like looking at it. Not my thing. And in this case, like in this case, the story, right? Um, the art matches the storytelling. Yeah. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Uh, and it's it's interesting because I really loved this story, but then hated it so much. It's like they drug me in, and then I was so angry at the end. But then I bought all four of those miniseries. So yeah. I mean, I know 
because I guess had, I had money to burn, but most of them money. were really good. Like the OMAC project miniseries was really good. I had just driven uh, across country with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, anyway, you know, spoiler alert, uh, alert for old comics, but you know, Greg Rucka wrote that OMAC project series. So it was as you would expect. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and they went all out with these series. Uh, Bill Willingham wrote Day of Vengeance. Rucka wrote OMAC. Villains United was written by Gail Simone. And it was phenomenal. Mm. And Dave Gibbons wrote Ran Thanagar War. So, you know, they, they, they definitely uh, pulled out all the stops with the writing on those series and the art as well. Yeah. So y- you're looking at some really strong uh, creators tackling these next few stories and I, I did think that showed that DC was committed to honoring what they did here. Uh, they didn't just go and uh, put anybody on these next few books, right? Like it was very calculated and they put a great writer of characters on the Villains United series to build up the villains personalities. They put, you know, a great uh, uh, fantasy writer, right? Uh, Willingham on Day of Vengeance and of course Greg Rucka gets to do a Batman book oh no mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah it, it's it's great and then you know Dave Gibbons uh, well known for his contributions to Watchmen among just everything that he did so yeah they did go all out I did think Rand Thanagar War was the weakest of the four uh, books but I think they did a great job following this so I've got to say that the, the point I'm getting to here is I think they honored the death by continuing the story. Yeah. I Definitely. just didn't know that they necessarily had to end the character. Uh, of course, we down the road do get another Blue Beetle. Uh, we mentioned it in the last episode. So eventually in uh, Infinite Crisis, I think it's number four. The Scarab finds Jaime Reyes in El Paso, Texas. And this high schooler becomes the new Blue Beetle with a whole new suit and actual superpowers. And whoa, it's pretty neat. And and then um, DC Comics does this weird, you know, we're going to advance a year in history thing. And Jaime has disappeared. And there's some pretty compelling stories. And it was really interesting because Keith Giffen actually wrote some of the original stories. So that's cool. uh, He transitions from. Ted Cord to, to writing Jaime Reyes. So I, I did think that was really neat. Um, this is our probably their last piece on the one-off throwaway characters for a bit. Uh, yeah. Well, and we'll, we'll do OMAX soon, but we'll probably dig a little bit more into the politics and the Kirby-isms there mm-hmm. uh, than we will it being a one-off. Yeah. I think, uh, Greg, uh, again, we've talked, so we've, we've reviewed several, right? We had, uh, obviously... We looked at Blue Beetle. Uh, mm-hmm. We looked at Booster a little bit. A little bit. Um, the Booster ends up not being a, a throwaway eventually. Uh, we looked at uh, the two Green Lanterns. Green Lantern, so yeah. we looked at Guy Gardner and, of course, John Stewart, who are originally sort of throwaway characters, but then yeah. end up not being. Um, keep coming back. <laughs> they keep coming back, and, and, of course, now they're permanent, right? So three yeah. of the four four-ways uh, throwaways, I guess, there I referenced, stayed pretty permanent. Yeah. What do you think of, of the use? How would you address these character types? I mean, I know you don't necessarily like the end of this story. 
in all honesty, like I think uh, for, for writing purposes, having characters that you bring out in a story, um, regardless of which character we're talking about or any characters at all, uh, anytime you use a character to, to bring out a portion of the story, to tell the story, to engage the reader, to carry them through, uh, the, the, a portion of the narrative or the whole, the whole narrative itself, as we saw in this story, uh, with Ted Cord and being, being the narrator of this to kick off the whole entire, uh, series of events that, that basically formed after this book. Uh, it's one of those things where, um, having somebody be that character that, uh, that, uh, carries you through that arc and is, is pushed out, um, and, and, and inevitably thrown away. Uh, there, there's an importance to that. And, uh, and, and to be used that way is important for the reader to be able to transition into the other stories, as well as for the, the writer and the creative team to be able to, to get the reader engaged. Uh, I feel that it's, it's something that is done uh, more often than not. Um, I think sometimes it's done not as graceful and as well as in some stories, like we saw in this story Uh, in some stories it is, uh, is handled with, uh, um, mittens as, a, as opposed to gloves. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. uh, and, uh, when that's done, it's, it's very, it's, it's, it's very difficult to read or it's very difficult to watch on a film. Uh, when you've got a character that's, it hits, it hits three of the things that you like, uh, they're likable, uh, they're personal, they're likable and personable. Right. And, uh, and they have great dialogue. Uh, but then all of a sudden, uh, just, for some reason, there's just something that doesn't quite fit, uh, be it their interactions or whatever, or just that, you know, their, their timing, uh, time-wise, length of uh, use, whatever it is. Uh, in, like I said, in this, this is this is perfect. Uh, you have a whole entire story with this person, and it makes you want to, to find out what happens after the fact, after they're gone. Uh, and it's a great execution. And, and I know you as a writer would never get me to start liking a character I didn't like and then have them die in the middle of a story. No, never. Not at all. That's not my, I, I, I wouldn't do it in any, anything that I've ever worked on ever, ever, ever. I never, I never do that ever. You know why? In all honesty, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why writers do that. Do you want to know? Do you want to know? Not only is it is it is a great is a great way to tell a narrative, but it is also um, true to life. And if people can't handle that, then I'm sorry, but that's a realism. Uh, life sucks. I'm sorry if I'm getting too real for people, but uh, there's a lot of a lot of times where people's stories end too soon, and we have to we have to as people uh, just move forward and 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 either rejoice in their story and tell more of it or move forward with that story and move forward with our story. I think that's why writers do that in stories because sometimes people need to be reminded of that and they need to hear that uh, sometimes in the things that we read for fun and enjoyment, but also so that we, we can ex- understand that and, and evolve as, as people. 
Sorry, that was, yeah. that's Greg's like, I went from being really funny to, to being really real. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, am I supposed to be the funny one now to pull us out of that? But <laughs> no, yeah, but <laughs> I, I think it's a fair point. And, and one of the things that that is important there is like the finality of it. Right. And so many times in comics or soap operas or serial uh, things that are serial. Right. Yeah. Like characters will die and then they'll be brought back. And, and there's a certain uh, issue of finality uh, with with Ted Cord's death uh, that's important, uh, where that character uh, to date uh, hasn't been brought back um, outside of uh, Booster later talking to him when he's going through his own sort of mind crisis. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, Blue Beetles, like, of course, you know, uh, Booster's the only one seeing Ted. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's a problem there. And I think that sort of, uh, even years later, uh, they were able to use Booster coping with the death of Ted Cord as part of, of how he might break, right? Right. Uh, and so there is that. And I, I think that brought some realism to the comics. I mean, I think, you know, it's a serious point you bring up, but, you know, and not that I'm still mad at you for killing off a certain character or anything, but the... Uh, <laughs> The, uh, I mean, but that hit close to home for us. I mean, I don't want to bring our personal life into it too much, but uh, that character was in that I'm referring to, and I want, we'll plug your book in a second, but uh, was loosely patterned off, I shouldn't say loosely, a lot patterned off our mentor, like uh, that oh, yeah. we had in college. And so, um, you know, that hit me hard uh, when that happened. And so I had a personal attachment to it. And I think this, you're right though, like you, 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 it, it actually helped me deal with our mentor dying. So, I mean, I, there was, there was bits of that too. So sometimes the, the writer, right. Can help us deal with emotions through the art and through the medium. Uh, that's harder for us to deal with if mm-hmm. we don't have access to that art. And I think there's a part of it too. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I, 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 I still hate the idea of having a second grader watch old yeller. Like I think that's child abuse. <laughs> uh, but when you're, I, I do like legitimately, I think that's child no, no. abuse. When, yeah. when you are old enough to conceptualize these things and, and teaching people about that, I, I think that uh, storytelling can be a great medium to introduce death and understanding the finality of it. And so, oh. yeah, I think you make great points. And I think it is time to be serious, but we can laugh about it a little bit too, in the sense that, you know, there are some horrible ways to do it, like Old Yeller, but there are some really good ways to do it in this case, though. I still don't like beetle being shot in that. I totally understand, but not, and not to, not to, not to totally like, um, uh, jump into, into this other, this other podcast, but in the spoiler verse, uh, we do have a few other podcasts that, uh, that I'm, I may or may not be part of. And, uh, on nurse from the crypt, we talked about, uh, the, the movie, Misery, based on a Stephen King book about a writer who was writing about a very serialized character, uh, and a situation uh, occurs in which that character dies, and he finalizes his story, and uh, uh, Paul Sheldon finalizes his story about Misery, the main character, and Annie Wilkes, played by Kathy Bates, does not like this at all. <laughs> right. And, uh, and, and goes to every extent to make sure that she gets the story she wants to be completed. And, and some people just can't, can't deal with that. And, uh, it it is interesting to, you know, to see it from that perspective as well. Yeah. She was almost ready to like maul someone over that. Ha. Right. Yes. Well, yeah. 
hobbled. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, uh, it, she really blocked his attempts to kill the character. Definitely. And yeah, and but great movie, right? And I yeah. think yeah, and fan reaction now too. I mean, in two thousand five, we don't have as much of the social media going on response. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you still have enough, and and you know, there were some pretty negative reactions to this. But it, the, can you imagine now, like the tweets uh, that were going out to to Jeff Johns, Greg Rucka, and Judd Winnick? I couldn't uh, imagine the 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 fandoms, and and I hate to say that. I mean, I I love fandoms of all kinds, but also there's such a a, a crazy amount of of uh, toxic toxicity in all fandoms right and uh and whenever something like this a, a major event like this happens that uh, a portion of the fandom doesn't appreciate or can't accept who boy is it is it ever verbalized or at least uh um uh digitized in all and forms I, of social media currently and i think in this case to the uh the response would be like it was because of the finality of it. Like you're literally taking a gun and, and blowing somebody's brains out yeah. um, on panel, right. which, you know, of course we know comics. If you don't see it on panel, it's not real. And I it's interesting. Uh, you, you go back in comics, one of the early deaths, of course, I'm a huge legion of superheroes fans. Everybody knows that if they've listened to this for a while, um, but Pharaoh lad, sounds like Iron Man. I mentioned this before was, <laughs> was killed and it was one of the first silver age deaths where a character didn't come back. Uh. And, and so, you know, in characters die in the X-Men like Phoenix, right? Yeah. They come back. Uh, this character didn't come back. And so uh, they actually didn't even have another iteration of the character until the uh, Legion was relaunched in the nineties. And oh, so you wow. went from the sixties to the nineties, uh, without seeing this character again. Jeez. And that was of course a whole reboot. So that's why it was accepted, right? Like uh, it wasn't okay. the same character. It was after zero hour, if y'all remember that. Uh-huh. And so it was interesting because that finality, uh, played into the mythos of that superhero group. So things like this too, can really play into the mythos if they're done right. Mm-hmm. And, you can keep referencing a character or keeping the memory of that character without ever actually having that a character appear again. Gotcha. And I, I think, it, you know, and that's going to lead to some clever writing, right? Yeah. And Definitely. so, I mean, a character died in a book that you wrote and I'm sure that character will never be referenced again. Right. Um, sure. Never sure. Referenced again. We'll find out in book three coming out in 2028. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 2049. <laughs> hey, let's uh, get your, uh, go ahead and plug your podcast. All right. So as we talked about, Nerds in the Crypt is also part of the Spoilerverse as well as Narrative Gunslingers, where we talk about all your narrative stuff with Travis Webb. And so that wraps up another episode of Funny Book Forensics, episode 251, Squashed Like a Beetle. Thanks for joining us, everyone. (laughs) I could delete all that.
Now on Kickstarter, Starlight's issue one and two, transdimensional spider wizards and space pirate cats kidnap former washed up sibling child superheroes. Starlight issue number two picks right up where the popular first issue left off, providing new insights and perspectives into the Starlight universe. Issue number two will help readers make sense of the action-packed stories. The readers will learn more about the alien creatures that lie within and who the child superheroes are, or rather are not. Starlight issues one and two brought to you by Overcast Comics. The creative team is comprised of Travis Webb, Brett Waddell, Greg Smith, edited by David Mayer, additional cover by Jenna Ayub. This project can be found on Kickstarter in comics. Starlight will be available on Kickstarter starting October 13th through November 13th. You can find it at starlightkickstarter.com. That's starlight, S-T-A-R-L-I-T-E, kickstarter.com.